0: Well,
1: welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk.
0: I'm Erica. I'm Steve. And I'm Sarah.
1: And we are um, about like a, a month into a series we've been doing about transitions, uh, in particular transitions in in the life of, of <clears throat> church, transitions in, in ministry, but also the ways that transitions happen in all of our lives as well. Maybe how we deal with the things that are scary, but also the things that are hopeful about them. Um, so far, we've kind of talked more broadly about everybody's life transitions, but also in in uh, church life, in, in pastoral life, and the different models and systems that different branches of Christianity in America use for how uh, pastors uh, end up in different congregational settings and how congregations have a voice in that. So w- where, where should we go for our conversation today, Sarah?
2: Yeah, so one of the reasons why I really wanted to have this conversation is because a lot of people in our congregations just have absolutely no idea what happens in the process of pastors leaving and pastors coming. Mm -hmm. And so today I I think we should talk about pastors discerning that it is time to leave their current congregations. Mm -hmm. Um, Because oftentimes, if you're just a congregation member sitting in the pews... Often it seems like it's just out of left field. A pastor says, hey, I've just resigned. I am leaving or I've been like called to this new place. Um, My last Sunday is going to be on this date. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And oftentimes that discernment of it's time to leave happens months or even a year prior. So like it's a thing that's been in motion and you've just not really known about it. Um, So today, I think we should talk about discerning that it's time to leave a congregation.
1: And I I think it'll be helpful, too, uh, for us to talk about what that looks like across our different, uh, not only life experiences, each of the three of us who, who has been in ministry in different kinds of settings, but also that at the beginning of this series, we talked about how different American church denominations handle this process differently, some with a more direct... Uh, from high on above, you will go here, you will stay here, and some that's a much more like a online dating and some that feels very much like a straight-up just job interview uh, for any other kind of career, but about what that process of discernment looks like and that even though the details may be different, for each of us, there's that question for us in ministry, how do we do the discerning of it's, it's time to, to at least be open to or to be actively seeking uh, a, a new place to, to do ministry?
0: So, I, I will say, for the Methodists, you know, that high, you know, call from up above. Mm-hmm. From our well, bishop. Now, notice
1: I've left it vague whether the high above is the, the, the district superintendent, the bishop, or God. Just above, yeah. You know it's, <laughs> it's, it's coming from above it's your a mix. <laughs> It's
0: a mix of those three, hopefully. Um, you know, at least in western Pennsylvania. And I'm assuming there's something similar in all the different conferences of the United Methodist Church, but I can't speak to them because I've not been a part of them. Uh, we have something called a clergy dashboard where we have like our profile and our information, you know um, Our gifts and graces for ministry those kind of things And a question we have to answer every year is do you want to move? And we have three options we can say no we can say yes, so we can say we have no preference
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, And so in my experience um, At least since I've been in this current appointment that answer has been no. And it continues to be no. Like, we're in the Great Methodist Migration time period where all those decisions are being made. (laughs) So, my answer is no. Now, does that mean that that's a guarantee? No. (laughs) (laughs) But it does mean that the likelihood, so long as I'm saying no and, like, my congregation doesn't want me to leave, then I'm most likely going to stay. Mm -hmm. Um, In my first appointment, when it came time for me to leave, we... It was a discernment process with the church Mm -hmm. uh, for some time. I was actually working on an ordination project and trying to do some visioning for the church using the book of Nehemiah and the project didn't turn out the way I wanted it to or thought it would, um, but it ended up turning out. We got an answer anyways Mm -hmm. and it was the decision that once I was ordained the churches I was serving could no longer afford me. Mm,
3: mm-hmm. So it became
0: a very practical, like, financial thing. They can't afford me, so I have to move on because we have certain levels of mm-hmm, minimum mm-hmm. payment for for the different levels of um, ordination or local pastors, associate mm-hmm. members, those kind of things, provisionals. And and so we made that decision in, like, November, and I announced it to the churches in November that I would be moving that coming July.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: But did not find out until like Ash Wednesday of that spring where I was going.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so you know, but I know other pastors who um, sometimes you know some of my colleagues would tell me like they kind of have a gut feeling mm-hmm. that they know they're going to move that year,
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whether they
0: want to or not. They kind of just have that feeling like, mm-hmm. yeah, this could be that year.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I've had colleagues who have been asked to move who've who've asked to stay. Mm. Um, because they're just—I remember one was my college pastor. He was getting some things started up with the college. Um, we were right off the campus at Slipper Rock University, and um, you know he's trying to get this coffee co- coffee house started and things like that. And so the bishop asked him to move because he'd been there for some time mm-hmm. for a Methodist, and and he explained kind of what he was trying to get off the ground. And so the bishop let him stay for another couple of years to just you know get that moving. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly that's kind of why I said no
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, I think this, this church deserves a longer pastorate you know they had a really long one before me um, but you know it takes a while to kind of build up that relationship with the church to be able to get some things done mm-hmm. and I think we're on that verge of maybe being able to get some things. And plus, with COVID, like...
1: Yeah, it, it almost feels like this year, like, nobody gets to count this and, like, nothing... Ha- yeah, yeah. Yeah. It,
0: yeah. I mean, I felt bad for my colleagues that had to move last year, you know, and didn't get the, the traditional goodbyes and that yeah. kind of stuff, and um, I can't imagine what it's going to be like for colleagues moving this year. Because um, some of them have not gone back into in-person worship. Yeah. You know, since last March, so... Um, it'll be interesting. But yeah. that's kind of how it... My experience of the system, from mm-hmm. what I've heard from colleagues and, and personally, um, so mm-hmm. and like I said, sometimes you just get the call from the DS and says, "Hey, the bishop wants to appoint you here," and they usually give you about 24 hours to pray about it and yeah. think about it, and yeah. they'll call you back and see what your answer is. And typically, most people that I know, the answer is yes. Mm-hmm.
1: So. It, it, it's helpful to hear as you tell that story, and part of this is sort of brought to the fore in the way the polity works in the united methodist system but that sometimes before you've got a clear where is my destination you've got that sort of first level of it's not here that like and sometimes mm-hmm. it's again like from your higher up structure saying this is going to be a year to move and be aware of that and sometimes you just have that uh, internal sense of i'm not going to be in the current setting for for a lot mm-hmm. longer um and that even that sense of not here isn't necessarily a, a bad... I mean, sometimes it's a, this is an unhealthy, this is a toxic, or yeah. this is dysfunctional, oh, yeah. I, I cannot be here, or whatever. But then sometimes it's a, It's not about someone's right or wrong or good or bad, but, like, th- it's time to... to my to, gifts to and graces
0: no longer serve this congregation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And they need to be used somewhere else. And yeah. that's, uh, One of my pastors growing up, I think that's what happened when he left, is he just kind of... we. The church had bought a new building, and he'd gotten us, like, you know, gotten us into the new building and everything. But mm-hmm. then, his gifts and graces just weren't enough to get us over the hump of, you know, paying off that new building and mm-hmm. doing all that mm-hmm. other kind of stuff. And so mm-hmm. we, you know, somebody was brought in who had those gifts and graces. Yeah. yeah, And I, I think that's where a lot of it kind of comes into, like, you know. Is your gifting in, in ministry still working for this congregation? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If
0: not, let's find a place where your gifts can be used, yeah. and maybe bring in somebody else.
1: Yeah. It, it, in a way, I've never thought about this before, but like when I think about the stories um, in the in the Bible of like the, the the patriarchs and matriarchs, where they're called, like when Abram and Sarah are called to go leave or of the Chaldeans it's pretty broad where they're going to land. It's just go to the land that I will show you. And it, I, th- I think sometimes we imagine that, you know, the, the, the picture of faith is, I know I'm supposed to leave this place and go to this other place, but like sometimes we're not clear on what the other place is. Yeah. E- even in all the, the wilderness wandering, it's, you know, the promised land. But like these, the people who are going to the promised land have never been there. So they don't know what, like we're trusting God's going to take us where it's supposed to be. But and it sure takes a lot longer than uh, it, it, it is expected but there's, there's a biblical, I guess, a warrant or, or biblical direction for that. Sometimes the, the first step of clarity is it's time to not be in this place and where that next place is is, is not yet clear, and that's okay. It's not mm-hmm. a, I immediately found greener pastures, I'm leaving from this place to go to a better place, but sometimes it, it's time to not be here.
0: The only reason I had heard of my first appointment cause I had, was because I had friends in seminary who were from that town.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When I got the call to come to Marion Center, I'm like... Okay, where's that? Yeah. <laughs> uh
1: huh. Uh huh. I <laughs> knew it was uh-huh.
0: somewhere close to Indiana, PA, because it was in the Indiana district. Mm hmm. Um, and I had an idea where Indiana was because you know they were rivals in college, but <laughs> I had no idea how close I was going to be to Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, right. or anything else. Right. Like you know. Um. But I, I've made a home here, and yeah, I'm happy for this to be my home for several more years, hopefully. Yeah.
1: Can I ask, Sarah, what what's your experience been like in, in the, the discernment process that you've been going through, like in real time that you've shared with us on this podcast that is a real-life situation you're dealing with? What's that discernment been like for you?
2: Well, I think that there's been two sides to to our discernment, because I, I am one half of a clergy couple. So mm-hmm. my husband was in a call, and it was a three-point, and they decided that they could no longer financially support a full-time pastor. And not only that, but they also did not want to continue being yoked together, all three of them. And so, especially after they split, no, none of them were going to be able to afford a full-time pastor. And so they voted to dissolve their three point parish. And with that dissolving, my husband's call ended Mm -hmm. and I am less than full time. So the practicality was we cannot afford to stay here any longer. Mm -hmm. And so we saw the writing on the wall almost a year ago, actually. And we put in our paperwork of to, you know, asking to be moved, Mm -hmm. Um, asking to start the call process, start interviewing with churches. And then the pandemic hit, and we never actually got to officially start that process last before last March. And so, like, there was, like, this whole six-month gap where synods kind of just shut down their call process and was all like, nope, nobody's moving. Mm-hmm. Everybody just kind of stay put. And um, so that was kind of terrifying because we knew that as of December 31st, 2020, Russ wasn't going to have his call anymore. Um, but at the same time, I think that there were probably other reasons why we wanted to leave as well. Um, you know, a, a three point pair, we were both in three point parishes different. And especially in a pandemic, I think we were both starting to feel burnt out of multi-point parishes. You know, we each have three church councils. We each have three plus worship services a week. We both had, you know, and so when you add up all of the committee meetings and all of those responsibilities, it, it seemed like every night one of us had a meeting. And so we were we were very rarely both home with the kids. And we were kind of realizing that, you know, we like this place, we like these people most of the time i think most pastors will admit (laughs) that church life is challenging Mm -hmm. um but that with the ages of our kids and with our family that this wasn't going to be a long-term sustainable place for us to be we were getting really really burnt out and so like the idea of being someplace new where we only had one church council, where we only had one set of committees, where we had just one place to lead worship on a Sunday morning. You know, and granted, this would be for both of us, right? Like one church for each of us. It seemed a lot more doable. And so when we were starting the call process, we were not looking for multi-point parish or if one of us was be, to be in multi-point parish the other one would not be so that there would be less committee work for one of us um so so that's kind of how we discerned that discerned this time that we needed to leave
1: um it, it sounds to me like again that there's this this balancing of the the needs of the the church heading the ministry there but also your needs Personally, and your sense of what what kind of ministry is life giving to you as well. And mm. I, I guess one of the things that I I want to make sure we left up in this conversation is um, th- that all of that is good and holy and right. That it, uh, sometimes in church life, it is tempting to sort of make like. You know, looking out for being able to feed your family—that's—that's that's, you know, mere earthly. But you need to be spiritual. But like, you no, know, being able to provide for your family is is a part of the human vocation. Is that, I mean, it's that that's part of being decent human beings. Um, and similarly, our concern that our neighbors be able to feed their families—that that's a part of being decent human beings uh, and and part of our our spirituality and faith life too. So that that those practical issues—it's not like oh, how unspiritual. That's a that's a piece of what it is to be human. Um, for, for all of us in, in whatever vocation, whether in, in the life of the church or whether you're a farmer or work in a business or, or whatever, that all those are a piece of it. And I, I think that's an important piece that maybe all of our traditions, our, our denominational traditions, have in somewhere in their in their um, uh, uh, doctrinal closets or a- attics or something, but that idea that it's not that there's a select few people who only make their decisions on spiritual things and the rest of us are sort of doing the rat racing, but feeding your kids, living your life, is also a part of how your spirituality looks and is expressed.
0: And I will say, that's one of the things, at least talking to you all and your call system versus our appointment system, I, I see as sometimes one of the cons of the appointment system hmm. is families. Mm-hmm. Like, as a single pastor, it's easy for me to get up and go somewhere else. Yeah. You know, uh, I have aging parents, but, you know, so long as I'm within... Anywhere, honestly, I'm in in, the, in my conference, I'm not going to be more than four hours from them.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, it's easy for me to get up and move, but I know a lot of colleagues who have struggled with moves because their kids are a junior, mm-hmm. and the bishop wants them to move their senior year,
3: mm-hmm. and they
0: don't want to move their kid out of the school that they've been in for yeah. four, five, six years You know, for their senior year to spend somewhere else, or their spouse works somewhere. I have a couple colleagues currently who are living apart from their spouses because mm-hmm. their spouse was not able to find a job where they got moved to. Mm-hmm. Um and so I mean they're making it work, but like I'm talking living like t- an hour and a half, 2 hours away. Yeah. And
2: and I think that also has a huge financial strain too, right? Cuz mm-hmm. then you're maintaining two households. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's expensive. I mean, mm-hmm. you know,
0: usually there's a parsonage with the church. So I mean, it, you know the church has those but then you but you have another house that's
2: right at, at least in our system if you have a parsonage you get paid less like it's part mm-hmm. of the compensation package yeah. you either get a parsonage or you get a little bit more money and you know so that yes that helps if they have a parsonage and you're not like physically paying for two houses but you kind of still are right like yeah, because if you're,
0: you're doing, paying for you know light bulbs like, and toilet paper and right. supplies for Two houses you and whatever repairs you have to do with the one house.
2: Yeah, you need two sets of dishes. You need two sets of mm-hmm. multi-purpose cleaner. Like
0: yeah, yeah, two sets of furniture. Yeah, right. Um. Yeah. So I mean,
2: and and that for me was another huge reason. Like the idea of wanting of this move is, you know, we've now been in. My husband and I have had two short calls back to back, and we want to be in a place longer. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't want to move anymore. And so where we're moving to uh, has a lot more Lutheran churches in a densely populated area. And so we're able to buy a house like in the middle of that and both be able to find calls. And in this place, in theory, like we're not there yet, but in theory, if one of us were to discern that it's time to end that call, that's not an automatic, the other person has to end their call as well. No. Whereas right now, that is the reality is yeah. if one of us loses a call, we both have to leave. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this new place, suddenly that's not true. And also we can stay in that house and be pretty centrally located to a bunch of other Lutheran churches.
1: Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think is helpful about this conversation but i think for both of the three of us, but for folks listening in who are in congregational life in other ways, is that reality that the the endings of of uh times appointments calls whatever um it's not reducible to uh who's the good guy and who's the bad guy like why did this like and and that's difficult because so many of our other kinds of relationships if things come to an end there's we have you have to do an autopsy of whose fault was it you know we 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 talk about when marriages end well you know whose whose fault was it that this thing ended um you know often when other kinds of jobs end, well did you get fired or you know were they not treating you good like and sometimes it's not like that it's this is the time for this thing to end and to move on to something else and that allows for um those transitions uh, not to be looking to assign blame or make somebody into a hero or or a villain or anything like that. In in The Call Where I Am... My predecessor, two pastors. There's an interim in between, but my, the 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 pastor who had served as full time before me. Um, the reason her call ended was she got married to the person who had just been elected bishop, and it was sort of like this. She was gonna. Uh, so it, it's funny, like there, that's a that's a good transition. But when I arrived, some of the storytelling had become among some folks, and the bishop whisked her into the woods. I mean, almost like you know, like like a goblin in a fairy tale. <laughs> I like, took her away into the woods, and then you know, and they were happy for her, but it was also that was our pastor, and now she's gone because she married the bishop um and like it, it, like almost in in seriously, like in fairy tale language <laughs> um and there's other times where calls end because someone is retiring in, in my uh, uh life growing up in childhood um basically there were either pastors who left by retirement and that could sort of have like this glorious sort of uh ah you finished the race well and i would love to serve you longer but i need to retire time for me to fade off into the sunset and that's sort of a heroic thing and on the flip side, there were calls that ended badly because there had been dysfunction or anger or something like that, and they that sort of like got the storytelling was these people did something wrong. Where the church and like the, the, mm-hmm. it was and that those those are both real things that happen. But there's also times where in in this middle space, it's not about who's the villain or who's the hero. Um, But like it was just time. And and that awareness of it's just time in a a way that includes both spiritual discernment and also practical concerns, that's important to to lift up so that we're able to process those letting go times and not make it be, well, whose fault was it that it happened? Maybe it's not like that in a way it almost reminds me of um, you know that 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 scene at the, um, the the man who's born blind in in John chapter nine and the the disciples come to Jesus with, who sinned that this thing happened was it this guy or was it his parents that, that this thing happened and Jesus responds like no your, your question is wrong your category is wrong that's not how it is and again I think sometimes we treat life in in uh, church in the same way i mean whether it's transition of a pastor to another setting um or the way congregations have to deal with shifting you know uh becoming multi-point parishes or when a congregation closes or when they you know th- sometimes it's not this is a hooray this is a, a wonderful or this is terrible but like th- it was time this is the organic thing that needs to happen now and we're not great at thinking in those terms can i ask more more broadly uh, because again in in some in some sense some of our conversation is inside baseball to pastors talking about pastory stuff um but the idea of how we do discernment for those big life changes in some ways those are going to be helpful conversations to have with uh, folks who aren't in church ministry life but who are de- you know dealing with things like how do i decide if it's time to leave this job and look for another one how do we decide if it's time to move I and mean, those kind of things it and it seems to me discernment like in a broad just any kind of discernment is not a skill a lot of us are great at um and by us i don't just mean the three of us but like human beings as <laughs> americans in the 21st century um what what are what are um I, I don't know, pro tips, but like, what are, what are, what are things that have been helpful for you in your own life and how do you go through the process of discerning, balancing both the, um, practical, the, the, the spiritual and the everything in between?
2: Well, for, for me, because I'm married and, mm-hmm. um, my husband is definitely my partner the discerning has to happen with him, okay? Um, like, because it's it's one of those things that, as a clergy couple, when we were in seminary, we were told that most likely in every call, one of you is going to be the trailing spouse. One of you is going to feel the call to leave and be in a new place, and one of you is then going to get that really amazing call, and the other person's going to follow along and might not get an amazing call it might be um not might not be the greatest fit it might not be the healthiest like partnership Mm -hmm. because that person is just trying to be in the same place as their their spouse and have a job Mm -hmm. and that has proven to be pretty true (laughs) so far in our relationship of um my first call ended because i saw rust being in a not great fit of a call it Mm -hmm. wasn't even full time they were not a good fit with each other it was just he was not in a good place and so i made the decision like for a lot of other reasons like that this was time to move we needed to be in a different place I didn't even put in my paperwork. He put in his paperwork, and I was going to go on family leave for at least a couple of months to focus on our uh, new baby and not even look for a new call in the place until we had settled and been there for a while. Um, but, like, my, dis- our discernment always has to happen together. Um, and so far, we've been pretty good at listening to each other when one of us says, I feel the call to like not be here anymore or, um, or, you know, at least talking about like, Hey, this place doesn't seem to be the healthiest for you. Mm -hmm. Um, let's talk about options and we Mm -hmm. lay out all of the cards on the table, even if the option isn't one that we probably will go with. Like, you know, at one point in this past year, being like getting really burnt out with the pandemic one of the options that we laid on the table that we were pretty sure we weren't going to take but it was at least on the table was we both just resign no calls in place and we pack up our house and we go move in with your parents put all of our stuff in storage and we find secular jobs that was on the table Mm -hmm. were we probably going to take it not no, but it needed to be said exactly, yeah, yeah. And then you know, we talked about more realistic options, and but we just lay everything out on the table, yeah. But the discernment always happens together
1: okay so so as i'm hearing you, you say like the, the the doing this in partnership that not just sort of on a whim decide or i alone decide uh, i heard a voice from god like that 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 needs to be done in connection with the stakeholders in your life so that could be a spouse that could be kids that could be uh parents i mean who are the people who basically you allow to have a vote in your life kind of yeah um and then also i i appreciate hearing that idea of there's a level of brainstorming it which like all the ideas need to be said so that there's the clarity of if if we're both in agreement. yeah no we're definitely not going to do choice a over there it we at least need to set it out loud so we both are on the same wavelength about it Mm -hmm. um and maybe even so you could say how how do we know that that's not the right choice because sometimes the how do we know answer is what gives us guidance on of the other choices what does check the right boxes for us Yeah. How about for you, Erica? What are, what are ways that you've found in life, what, whatever the, the, the question, what what helps you to discern?
0: Well, the dog's not very helpful. Okay. <laughs> I can't have conversations with the dog, nor does she really care where we go. Um, so usually I, I turn to my best friend, like, mm-hmm. you know, and just... But again, like, so far for me, in, in my two appointments that I've had, the one was just very much... A financial logistics kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just made sense sure. for the congregation, and so I just trusted the bishop and her cabinet to to figure out. Okay, where do I need to go from here?
3: Sure.
0: Um, you know, but I can see that you know in the future. Hopefully, someday out you know I'll find a spouse, and whether he be clergy or you know he be in some sort of secular job, like. I hope our conversations look a lot like what you guys have had, you know, with you and, you and Russ, Sarah. Um, you know, because especially if I marry somebody in the secular world, mm-hmm. you know, depending on what their job is. I don't I don't want to be like some of my colleagues who are living apart from their spouses.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but it, it's more of just, you know, get being single makes it easy, um, easier yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, when, when the day comes that I get moved from this call, from this appointment, and if I'm still single at that point, like, will it be hard to leave these folks? Absolutely, because I've, I've fallen in love with them, and, you know, they're, they're great people. Um, but it, you know, I put a lot of trust in my district superintendent and my bishop to say, you know what, we need your gifts and graces mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Because I'm trusting that my, my DS and the other DS's, you know, the cabinet, know the churches and their needs better than I could.
3: Sure, sure. Because
0: I'm not going to, you know, we've got 800-some-odd churches in our conference.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I can't know them all. Our yeah. bishop can't know them all. That's why she depends on her cabinet. Like,
3: right.
0: you know, it's a DS's job to know the churches and know the people. Right. Um, and so I, I lean a lot on their discernment. But I, I do spend time myself, you know, just... Asking, you know, I, I spent a lot of time just trying to discern what's right for this church in mm-hmm, this moment, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you know, some, I run ideas past my best friend, I run ideas past our church council, mm-hmm. you know, like those people that have I, I've given stake in my life, um, whatever that relationship might look like.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so uh, It sounds like a recurring theme here that, like, that discernment. To some degree, there's going to be an internal piece for each of us, mm-hmm. but that it's best done in conversation with other people who make sense as sounding boards. And yeah. sometimes it's stakeholders who whose lives will be affected by the change of decision—the spouse, kids, whatever, or the church council, whatever. But also, like when you talk about uh, talking with your best friend, um, in a sense, they're they're a, a stakeholder in your life. But also, like you can find ways to make friendship work even if you're not in the same geographical oh, location. Oh, we're in two different states. Right. And so, like... You know, so
0: it doesn't matter. You know, where I move doesn't matter to her. Right. Um, but she knows me well enough. She she knows my personality. She she knows my gifts and graces. Yeah. yeah. You know, she knows when I'm having a good day, when I'm having a yeah. bad day, when, yeah. I'm, when I'm just throwing crap out there to just see what's going to stick on the wall. Yeah. Um, she knows how to discern that kind of stuff. Yeah. And help me through that process. And yeah. will tell me... No, Erica, that's a terrible idea. You're angry right now, and that's why you're saying this. Yeah. You know, like, why don't you calm down, pray about it, and come back to me again.
1: And I, I think that's helpful to, to note, like, because, again, like, this is for, for folks in, in whatever circumstances um, of, of transition, maybe be at whatever point in life trying to figure out it's helpful to have both conversation with people who will be directly affected by your decision one way or another, but also it can be helpful to have the voice of other people who in a sense don't have any skin in the game. Mm-hmm. And that like, I'm not biased cause I'm just wanting, you know what I want. Yeah. This is me listening to you, listening to the situation. Those voices can be helpful in, in a different way too. In that, they're like, it, it, it doesn't affect me one way or the other in in a sense of like, I'm not having to leave my junior year of high school or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, and I get it. You consult your kids if they're in if they're on you know, on the verge of their senior year. Yeah, you got to talk with them about w- what they think. But it can be helpful to talk to other people who can do that listening and have some of that bracket it out, and then just listen. to, Here's why I hear in this situation that that that's a helpful conversation partner too.
0: And that those kind of conversations with my best friend will probably continue no matter what my marital yeah. status is. Because I, I need that outside you know yeah. somebody who doesn't have necessarily skin in the game as you said yeah um to make sure that because sometimes you know I, I've heard other people talk with their spouse you know talk about their spouses and with their spouses and sometimes like you you both get that tunnel vision yep. you know of what you think is right and you need that outside voice yeah that yeah. doesn't have skin in the game and to tell you you all have tunnel vision yeah, right now. Yeah. And yeah. you need to, you know, open yeah. up your blinders a
1: little bit. Is it like, in a sense, this seems to me like a recurring uh, lesson for life I'm learning over the, you say last like, four decades of my life um, <laughs> is the value of having people, not only people who are in your inner circle who are like-minded, but also making sure that each of us has voices who are um, enough outside that circle that like can help see blind spots mm-hmm. or can help hold us accountable, uh, can help, Help us to see things like in a minority report kind of a way yeah. of like okay i know this is what you're thinking but have you considered x or y or z and and mm-hmm. not do it in an antagonistic way like no you're wrong what you're thinking but like let me toss this out how does what you say or how does what where you're headed going to deal with x and y and z mm-hmm. those can be helpful um and it's worth it to deliberately seek and cultivate those kind of relationships in our lives whether mentors, colleagues, friends, whatever, but that's good all around. And then when there get to be those major life transition moments, they can be helpful in that way too.
0: Yeah. I think it's also
2: important to to say out loud that this, this whole conversation of, this whole series of being in transition, especially with a focus on pastoral ministry, yeah. is that a lot of the time, I would even say most of the time in our discerning about, is it time to leave? The answer is not yet Mm -hmm. right like uh pastors don't leave every year um you know like erica you've been here for four four years years? and steve you've been here for how many years Uh,
1: 14 and a half
2: 14 and a half so like you know this is there's a lot of reasons also to stay yeah. in pastoral and, ministry and
1: that's not just inertia i mean like and maybe like if it becomes just inertia that's a sign maybe it is a time to be looking but like if there if if your if your choice to stay is a yes i'm choosing to stay that's as much a val- a, a positive choice as yes it's time to go and that at those places where you're just shrugging your shoulders phoning it in that's a sign something's not right so mm-hmm. like that, that I, I appreciate you making sure that to, to lift that up the, the choice to be in a place it's healthiest when that's a positive yes i go on choosing this i knew a church years ago that did this with their membership every year that every year they would in some kind of ritual way in uh, their worship one sunday like and i don't know if it's a piece of paper or a form they sent up but it was sort of like this is a chance for everybody um to say spoken in worship i want to continue being a part of the life of the church here not just i'm a christian but it was sort of like and it, it wasn't like It wasn't like if you didn't speak up, you're out of the club. But it was more like sometimes what we need is that reminder that it's not just inertia, but I go on choosing to be a part of this church. And Mm -hmm. in, in a sense, yeah, you're just showing up on Sunday is a way of doing that, you know, voting by your presence. But it was a way of asking folks very seriously, do I want to continue being here actively, positively, not just by inertia of, well, the last time I went to church, it was in such and such a building. I guess that's where I stay on. But yeah, do I want to continue actively positively choosing this and that that idea has stuck in my head is i i get i get that at least
2: mm-hmm. was that part of either a stewardship campaign or um an affirmation of baptism like we do for our confirmation students I,
1: like ritually it may have been woven into something like that but i don't i don't and i don't know that the history of the genesis of it to know whether it began in a capital campaign or a stewardship thing but i think i think most broadly it was like we don't want to be just the church that says we want your money what's your money going to look right. like but like how do we save with our whole lives so i don't but i i never got to know what the genesis was but that idea of ongoing in an ongoing way saying yes i actually continue wanting to be in this um that that's helpful like in, in, in a way that like when I when when you hear about couples who've been married for however many decades that renew their vows it's not like well we stop being married or we're gonna it's gonna be canceled but like they feel it's important to say I go on choosing you day by day by day I go on choosing you I want you to know it um, I, I get that even if um, that's not everybody's cup of tea but I mean I, I get that idea
0: and for in, in my denomination with that question on the dashboard I mentioned earlier on in the episode you know that's that yearly reminder like and some people just don't mess with it yeah you know mm-hmm. like um you know but I go on every year and like I redo my profile mm-hmm. every year mm-hmm. uh, mostly because I have a ds I know that reads it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I've heard of some that don't necessarily always read them every year um but that is like my daily that not my daily my yearly reminder like okay am I still a good fit for this congregation is this congregation still a good fit for me like mm-hmm. And that kind of helps me get in that mindset. Like like I said, I have yet to think, oh, I need to get out of here, yeah. you know, because either I'm not good for them or they're not good for me, you know. Um, but it, it's that constant, it's that year to year, because we are appointed year to year. Um, there is no guarantee that, you know, like I said before, I am pretty sure I'm staying for the, you know, the 21 22
3: mm-hmm.
0: church year. There is no guarantee that I will be here 22 to 23.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I would like to be,
3: mm-hmm.
0: as it stands right now, but there's no guarantee for that. Sure. Um, but it, for me, it's a nice reminder, and just that chance, uh, that opportunity to dis- discern that and say, you know, what are my gifts and graces? How am I using them for yeah. this church? Um, and can they be used somewhere else? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I appreciate both of you on to share uh, some of your reflections that hopefully this is valuable for folks listening. Not only who want to know a little bit about what goes on inside their pastors' heads as they think about transition, but also just how do we how do we do the difficult work in all of our lives of deciding when something ends and when something new begins. Um, more conversation about um, discernment and about transition in ministry life uh, in our next episode. So join us next time here on Crazy Faith Talk. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> i